Does truth exist? Because you have faith, does that make this book true? Does God exist? So when someone says there is no truth, if you apply the claim to itself, what should you say? Is that true? They don't think Christianity is true. They're talked out of it. You know why they're talked out of it? Because they've never been talked into it. Cross-examining skeptical and atheistic views. Welcome to Cross-Examine with Dr. Frank Turek. Ladies and gentlemen, I think you know that you can do drag story hour in front of kids at your public library. The question is, can you read a Christian book about the fruit of the Spirit to kids at your same public library? Well, there's someone doing that, and he's having a bit of trouble in some places. You know him. He is the actor Kirk Cameron, uh, originally from the great show Growing Pains back in the 90s, and then he starred in movies like Fireproof and Left Behind, also made a documentary called Monumental, and he's done some great work, as you know, with Ray Comfort, uh, Way of the Master, Well, Kirk right now is going library to library, and he is actually bringing the truth to young kids. So he gets a round of applause for that, ladies and gentlemen. The question is, is he running into opposition? And when he goes to these places, can you attend? Here he is, Kirk Cameron. Kirk, how are you? Frank, I'm doing great. It's uh, so good to be on your program. I appreciate you. Thanks for having me here. Absolutely. So tell us a little bit, before we get into the the library event that you're holding all around the country now, for our viewers and listeners who might not be familiar with your testimony, you were an atheist as a kid, and you're in Hollywood, and you become a Christian. How? How did this happen? Well, there's this Holy Spirit that comes down, and he invades <laughs> your heart. Uh, <laughs> let's see. I, I, I don't know why I'm being a wise guy. Um, but Frank, this, this was something that occurred when I was about 17 and a half years old. I was on a TV show from 14 and a half growing pains till I was about 21. And right in the middle, when it was a big deal, I was an atheist and just believed the idea that there's someone up there behind the clouds watching us, keeping track of the good and the bad, kind of like Santa Claus. You know, he knows who's naughty or nice. And if, uh, if you did more good than bad, you would, you would get a prize, you'd go to heaven. And if you didn't, you'd get the lump of coal. Uh, or worse. And I loved science. I loved philosophy and all of that. And I just, I just had never heard great arguments for the existence of God. And it wasn't until I met a, a cute girl who invited me to church and I didn't want to go to church, but I didn't want to turn down the opportunity for a date. And so I went and I heard a message that really intrigued me. And This girl's father gave me a book by Josh McDowell called More Than a Carpenter, which helped me Mm. to intellectually justify examining the claims of Jesus, who said that he was the son of God and was born of a virgin and rose from the grave and defeated death. Well, that just sounds preposterous. And of course, the claim of the book was that he was either a, a, a liar or he was a lunatic on the level of somebody, you know, who, you know, thought they were a fried egg, uh, or he was actually who he said that he was. And I thought that that was pretty compelling. And so I, I agreed to go to church with a friend. Someone gave me a Bible. I began to read it. And the gospel message really captivated my heart as I thought about the fact that one day I would die and I'd find out if that preacher was right when he said that there is a God and a heaven and that I needed his forgiveness and that he made provision. And there was a, 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 
a part of that equation that required me willingly going to God in humility and repentance and believing the gospel. And so I was sitting in the front seat of my sports car, parked on the side of the road, and I decided to pray for the first time as an atheist. So it's a little awkward uh, praying to a God you don't believe in. But I thought if, if on the off chance I was wrong, I would give it a shot. And so I asked God, would you please show me the truth? If you're there and hearing me, would you, would you, would you forgive me for the bad things I did and make me the man that I, you created me to be? And uh, I didn't have uh, some sort of an epiphany. I didn't see Jesus. Um, I didn't start speaking in, in German or Chinese. Uh, mm. I just had this sense that perhaps the, the magnificence of the universe was the work of someone who also maybe made me. And if he created my ears, he could hear my talking in my car and he saw me and that maybe he would answer. And I just couldn't get away from the grip that the gospel and the scriptures had on, on me. And it truly did begin to change me. And I wanted to live a life of gratitude for his kindness toward me. And I'll be honest, I had so many questions about all this stuff because of my, my habitual atheism that I dove into apologetics pretty deeply and I wanted answers to the questions, not so that I could give a reason for my faith, but so that I could drag all of the skeletons in my closet out into the open and examine these challenges to what I was now believing. And I wanted to know, uh, is someone going to unravel this religion and pull the rug out from under me? Because if they can, I want to do it right now myself. And after 35 years of studying a lot of guys and wrestling through all this stuff, I've come to the conclusion that my faith in Christ and in the Bible has been well-placed. You and I were actually influenced by the same book. In addition to More Than a Carpenter, it was uh, Evidence Demands a Verdict that Josh wrote mm. that helped me realize that Christianity was indeed true. So uh, it had to be difficult, though, living in Hollywood. I mean, how much did your life change when that happened? It changed It changed a lot. You know, my language changed. I wasn't dropping F-bombs and talking about the subject matter and having the content of jokes that I did prior to that. And I'm only 17 years old, right? So I'm a kid. So just you think of I'm a hormone with feet. Right. I want to be hang out with my friends. I'm on a Hollywood TV show. I got access to everything. So all of a sudden I was like, wait a minute, God is watching me. I want my life to be a, a living thank you to God. And I want to be all in, not a hypocrite. Because I could see that Jesus was uh, most incensed by the religious leadership uh, that didn't have a heart of a real gratitude and love for God. They just liked, uh, you know, the, the show of religion that got them uh, attaboys and power. So I didn't want to do that. And so that really did begin to change me. Not overnight. I didn't have my theology straight. And so therefore, my living was not on par with, with a well-sanctified saint. But that comes with time, and I'm so glad that I'm today not what I could be. I'm not what I should be, but I'm not what I was. That means mm. I'm on the right road. Now, you're married. You have six kids, and uh, you've done some great work for the kingdom. I love the work you did, you've done with uh, Ray Comfort especially because Ray is just what an evangelist he is. And so yeah. you have teamed yeah. up with him and, and done Way of the Master, which has been great. Uh, but now you're going library to library. Tell us a little bit about that. So 
Um, and, and I want to thank you, Frank, for your work as well. Um, you you have influenced me, and I, I I love some of your arguments that have been so um, they're accessible. They're able to be articulated by regular guys like me, and they're so helpful not only for speaking the gospel to unbelievers, but to to uh, to unstick some of the sticking points in believers' minds. And uh, that's just such a gift to, to, to all of us. So thank you. Um, let's see. I wrote a children's book this last Christmas called As You Grow. It's a book about a little acorn that grows up into a great big oak tree. And he's got to go through different seasons of life and learn to produce certain fruit. Uh, and it's about community and love and faith and compassion and strength and gentleness, the fruit of the spirit. And I tried mm. to go to a public library to do a story reading like so many others have done. And I was denied by over 50 woke libraries that had previously held drag queen story hours. So um, these libraries uh, have been intentionally trying to block Christianity or faith-based programming coming in because they want to overturn and overthrow that. Ultimately, uh, the American Library Association, which uh, services libraries all across America and is very powerful influence in those libraries, is directed by a woman who is a self-avowed lesbian Marxist. And if we know anything about Marxism, Marxism is, um, is the cancer to a constitutional republic like we have here in America. So it's no surprise, but that's what I've been doing, and we've had great success over the last six months. And we're going to talk about some of that success and where you can see Kirk if he's in your neighborhood. And what about this censorship that public libraries are putting forth to try and keep Kirk and other Christians out? We'll talk about it right after the break. You're listening to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist on the American Family Radio Network. We're back in two minutes. Don't go anywhere. If you're low on the FM dial looking for national public radio, go no further. You're never going to hear this on NPR. We're actually going to tell you the truth here. That's our intent anyway. You're listening to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist with me, Frank Turek, on the American Family Radio Network. And my guest today is Kirk Cameron, kirkcameron.com. By the way, he's got a great testimony up there recorded by PragerU you want to check out. And uh, you can see where Kirk is, what he's doing. Right now, he's reading books, kids' books, about the fruit of the Spirit uh, at public libraries, and he's run into censorship from these public libraries. Now, Kirk, how did you get in if they tried to censor you? I mean, were you able to get into these schools that initially denied you, or these, these libraries that initially denied you? So these are public libraries. Now, uh, just to contextualize some of this, we think, wait, these are public libraries. We should be able to go in there, especially, um, well, I should say, it, the only reason we think that, that's our baseline, is because we live in the United States of America where we have freedom of religion. We have freedom of speech. We have freedom of assembly. And so these are pillars of our republic. But if this was the public library in China, you wouldn't be surprised that they were wanting to sabotage that, right? Because because ultimately you have a government-run organization that is going to keep the narrative the way that they want it, and freedom of religion and speech is not going to be a part of that there. But in America, yes, not only can you have a drag queen story hour, can you bring the Bible and actually read the book of Romans in a public library? 100%. In fact, we understand that, that, that biblical Christianity is the taproot that sustains the tree of our republic. It's that true religion and virtue morality, love for God, love for your neighbor, that our founders understood was indispensable for a free nation like ours. 
So the pushback that I got is, is, is coming from those who do not value those things here in our country. And they're trying to fundamentally overthrow that. And we see that through the media, through the government. We see that through uh, the, the, the news, through high, big tech, big pharma, big food, um, big government, everything. So what we need to do is we need to know our Constitution. We need to know our Bibles. And we know to, need to know how to apply these wonderful laws that we have in this country based on biblical law and philosophy to be able to preserve and advance freedom for uh, our families and for future generations. And we did that. So when they denied us and blocked us for ridiculous reasons, uh, we pushed back legally and said that uh, this is the United States and you can't have that kind of viewpoint discrimination. It's illegal. And they caved. We went to those libraries that denied us and found 3,000 parents, grandparents, and children welcoming us on six floors of a giant library wanting to hear about faith, hope, love, uh, peace, gentleness, kindness, goodness, and self-control. They say, they're silencing us. We don't want this woke garbage. We want to deactivate this progressive machine and get back to the values that bring blessing to our children. And we found that in D.C. and New York and Seattle and Los Angeles and everywhere we've gone. And this last Saturday, we had the culmination of, a, of our tour. And we called it See You at the Library, where I'm passing the torch now to citizens in the United States. These are faith-filled, family-friendly, firmly patriotic people who are hosting their own story hours. And they did it in 300 libraries in 45 states all on Saturday. And it was an amazing win for so many people. Protesters and all, they, they help advance the cause because they draw such a contrast with their, their yelling and screaming, their disrupting, their interruptions, and show exactly what we as Christians are not about and therefore create an illustrative moment that shows people why the, 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 the the fire alarm is going off and, and are helping to fan the flames of the needed revival in our land. You know, before Tucker got canceled, he had you on his program. And I remember him saying something to you, Kirk, and people can see this on KirkCameron.com, that he felt that your approach, which was sort of a gentle approach, that you're going and fighting the culture war in, a, in a, with a smile, saying, I want to bring forth the fruits of the Spirit to young people. He said, I learned something from that. We don't have to be and shouldn't be aggressive all the time. We should show people the truth of the Scriptures and show people the truth of the fruit of the Scriptures, the fruit of the Spirit. And isn't it ironic, Kirk, I believe, if I remember correctly, in Galatians, where Paul talks about the fruit of the Spirit, after he lists the fruit of the Spirit, he says, against such things there is no law. And meaning, you would never have a law that said you shouldn't be peaceful, you shouldn't uh, show mercy, you shouldn't be kind. And yet, isn't it ironic that these libraries are trying to use a law to prevent you from saying those things, yeah. even though the law doesn't exist? Yeah, that, that's exactly right. And, and Jesus always did things that were counterintuitive, right? He, I mean, I mean, Jesus, Jesus didn't revile in return. He entrusts himself to God who judges righteously. Jesus defeats death by dying. How does that work? Um, mm -hmm. He he says to love your enemies, and so we want to do things God's way. Otherwise, 
you know, fighting fire with fire. Uh, we just become, if we win, we just become the bigger tyrant. We, we want to come as a servant and trust ourselves to God. Uh, that means we don't, we don't, it does not mean we don't fight for righteousness in our children, our family, and this yeah, blessed we nation that we're in. Absolute that we do. It's just the way in which we do it and the motive, uh, f- that drives it. Um, and, and that's for the glory of God. So, uh, I, I want to make sure that I mention how grateful I am for those who are allowing me to go to all of these libraries and put this movement on Brave Books. Uh, Brave Books is a young company that is uh, founded by a, a Christian doctor who sees what's going on in public schools, that kids are not getting education, they're getting indoctrination, and ultimately, th- these forces are going after the family. And so they've created all of these family-friendly, faith-filled books and a book of the month club that sends a, a new book to your house every month with a pro God, pro America value that will be an investment in your kids' faith and moral integrity. So I've written two with them. One is called As You Grow about the fruit of the spirit. The second is called Pride Comes Before the Fall, which was mm. released during so called Pride Month, teaching kids that pride is not a good thing. Pride mm. is what separates us from God and each other, and humility is where the blessing is at. What is the age range for these books, Kirk? Like, how, how old are the kids that will enjoy these books? You know, I, I would say um, four to four to eight, four to ten. Okay, uh, they're beautifully right. illustrated. They got these great characters of animals that live on a a place called Freedom Island, and Freedom Island represents America, an island of freedom in a world of uh, broke and woke uh, dictatorships and, and, and tyranny and loss of freedom. And pointing out the fact that we need a new generation to rise up to keep um, Freedom Island free and spread those principles to the rest of the world. Now, you were just at Madison Public Library in Huntsville, Alabama. That's and right. Originally, you were told you could not go there. But you actually did. You went with Riley Gaines, the swimmer, who has pointed out that having biological men in women's sports is ruining women's sports. I mean, she tried to go up against uh, uh, Thomas. He goes by Leah Thomas now and, of course, came in second to him. Uh, And now she is a warrior against having biological men in in, uh, women's sports. So how did you get reinvited then to Madison Public Library and how did it go this past Saturday? Well, uh, that's such an interesting story you mentioned about Riley Gaines. And just to put it in context, um, the, the man that she competed against, um, he placed worse than 400th when he was competing right. against the men. But then when he competed that's against right. the, the, the ladies, that, then he won. So th- that's the, the crazy part about it all. And, and Riley, is, is, um, she's, she's brave and courageous. We, we love her and she loves the Lord. Um, so we had... 300 of these events set up across the country. I went to three of them in three states in one day. And one of them was Madison, Alabama. And a couple of days before the event, they tried to pull the plug, citing some silly um, capacity issues, which we always exceed capacity at these issues. We have so many families and they politely wait in line and they wait their turn to come inside. That would not have been an issue. So we had to push back legally with with, uh, our our friends at First Liberty, uh, an incredible organization of Christian lawyers to help remind them of their religious, uh, I'm sorry, their constitutional obligations to provide freedom of access and freedom of speech. And so we came to a compromise and we were able to go in. Uh, the protesters were off on the side um, doing a, a terrific job of, of 
contrasting what we were about. Uh, I was reading all about humility, kindness, and inclusion, uh, welcoming them <laughs> while 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 they feign inclusion, diversity, and equity, while creating a narrow monoculture of woke philosophy that would exclude the hundreds of families that showed up for that event to learn more about how to be humble and kind. And it was a terrific day, um, a huge win for everybody involved. And we're now re-energizing and refocusing to determine uh, where we want to go next from the public library. So if people want to be a part of that or see where you're going next, yeah. where do they go? Go to bravebooks.com, uh, bravebooks.com. And uh, go, for the, go for the Book of the Month Club if you want to support this company and this movement. They're doing incredible things, and uh, that's what makes it possible bravebooks.com check it out ladies and gentlemen kirk has two books up there and there are several other books correct right. i mean yeah you're just one of many authors i'm just one of many authors and all of the characters in all of the books know each other and are connected in the universe of freedom island so they're absolutely fantastic and uh highly recommend that people go over there to bravebooks.com that's fabulous, Kirk. Tell us, we just got a couple minutes left. Tell us what else you want our audience to know about the work you're doing, what projects you might have coming up. How can they sure. get in contact with you? Well, you know, I, I always, I, I'm inspired by people who, who lay down pithy statements that I can remember. You know, I've heard a lot of sermons in my life and I can't remember all the sermon points, but I remember little things like, I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. That's a great oh, good, phrase, uh, for example. <laughs> And um, mm -hmm. I, I, that, that, that helped me to spin off and say, you know, I lost my faith in atheism. And, mm -hmm. and other ones that I would mention here in this context is Gandalf the Grey from Middle Earth in Lord of the Rings said this. He said, there are other evils that may come for even Sauron himself is is but an emissary or a servant. Yet our part is not to master all the tides of the world, but to do what is in us for the help of those years wherein we have been set, uprooting the evil in the fields we know so that those who live after may have clean earth to till. What weather mm. they shall have is not ours to decide. And the concept is it can feel overwhelming with all the work that needs to be done to right the ship. We can't do it all, but we can do what we're able to during the years God has placed us here for the sake of our children. And that's what you're helping us do. Thank you, brother. Exactly. Check out bravebooks.com. Also go to kirkcameron.com. And his reference to Lord of the Rings, go to my book, Hollywood Heroes, how your favorite movies reveal God. Thanks so much, Kirk. We're back answering your questions in two minutes. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist with me, Frank Turek on the American Family Radio Network. That was Kirk Cameron in the last two segments. Check him out at KirkCameron.com and also BraveBooks.com. It was interesting. He brought up uh, Lord of the Rings there at the end. It is amazing how many movies and movie franchises that have been successful in Hollywood. We know there's a lot of garbage that comes out of Hollywood, but the ones that have been successful over the past four or five decades, I mean, great movie franchises, they steal 
from the Bible. They steal from the biblical story, and that's what the book I wrote with my son, uh, Zach Turek, who also is a seminary grad, is about. It's called Hollywood Heroes, How Your Favorite Movies Reveal God. Of course, of course, Lord of the Rings is one of the franchises. Actually, Tolkien, of course, was a Catholic, and he he wanted to give a, a Christian story without the verbiage of religion, and that's what Lord of the Rings really did. Of course, we cover other franchises in there, like uh, Captain America, like Iron Man, Star Wars, even Harry Potter. <gasps> Harry Potter, yeah. If you, if you look at the character of Harry Potter, he actually follows... Uh, the story of Jesus more than any other of uh, these modern fictional heroes. And we cover that all in the book. I know some Christians have consternation with the fantasy, uh, the fantasy so-called uh, occultic elements in there. We cover that in the book as well. But if you know a movie lover, uh, you might want to check out Hollywood Heroes because it really helps from what the reviews say, so I'm not just saying it because it's my book, but it really helps people connect the dots on these movies. And if someone really loves the movies, you can show them that if they like these movies, they're going to love Jesus. Anyway, I've got some uh, questions uh, that you guys have emailed. Timothy writes in, are people really born gay? And so this isn't controversial, is it? Well, actually, I covered it in the book, Correct, Not Politically Correct. Let me uh, pull up a section of that book, because sometimes people will say, well, weren't you born heterosexual? And I mean, if you're going to say people aren't born homosexual, then don't you have to say you're not born heterosexual? And actually, my answer is, no, I wasn't born heterosexual. I was born a male. What I decide to do sexually is a choice. And actually, when we use terms like gay or straight, we make it seem like people are in one class or the other. But such language, I, I submit to you, is misleading. Nobody was born heterosexual or homosexual. We were born males or females. For convenience, we use terms when, or those terms, when it would be more accurate to say people who engage in heterosexual acts or people who engage in homosexual acts. In other words, we are males and females by biology, and heterosexuals are homosexuals by behavior. Now, if you were to ask me, were you born with heterosexual desires? I would say, I don't know, but how could anyone know that? How could you know for sure if your feelings are the result of nature or nurture or some combination? I mean, it's certainly possible that there's some kind of genetic component to heterosexual desires. And since we are clearly designed to propagate, and since the vast majority of people have heterosexual desires, they would be they would seem to be more poor or they would seem to be part of our our normal design and when i say normal i mean the norm the the average the the majority the vast majority we would seem to be designed to procreate and that's of course what heterosexual relationships do unlike homosexual relationships and of course the design of the body points that out. Now let's talk about design for a second because design explains human beings better than random evolutionary processes. I mean obviously there's a debate. Did 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 were we created, were we designed or were or did we evolve? And design seems to explain this much better. We don't have time to get in the details here, but since homosexuals don't reproduce, it would seem if natural selection 
was completely responsible for how we got here, that natural selection would have selected any homosexual behavior out to extinction by now because if homosexuality had a genetic source, uh, it would have been it would have been eradicated by now. It wouldn't have passed on because by definition, homosexuality does not reproduce. So if natural selection was really completely responsible for how we got here, homosexuality today wouldn't exist, but it does. And if natural selection has a goal of survival, then then how could same-sex marriage help with that? Because same-sex marriages are an agreement to stay in a sterile and medically unhealthy relationship, the exact opposite of survival. I mean, think about it this way. If everyone lived faithfully in same-sex marriage, the human race would end quite quickly. Okay, but I digress. We're talking about design there for a second. Let's point this out. We all know that we live in an imperfect world and a small percentage of people are born with conditions or characteristics that we would not consider natural or normal. Genes sometimes have defects. For example, some people are born deaf or blind or with psychological and mental mental limitations or deficiencies. And there's even evidence that some desires or personality traits, including anger, which can lead to harmful behavior or violence, may have a genetic source. Other people may not be born with such traits or conditions, but develop them during childhood. This is all in the book, Correct, Not Politically Correct, by by the way, ladies and gentlemen. The third edition just released a couple of months ago. But here's the key point. Whether these traits or conditions are the result of nature or nurture doesn't really make much of a difference because we all regard, regard them as deficiencies. What we never do is pretend that such deficiencies or differences are normal, nor do we encourage the harmful behavior that may flow for them. For example, we never say that a defect in a man's sexual preference that predisposes him to pedophilia is normal, nor do we encourage him to follow these desires because of that defect. Remember, there's a difference between attractions and actions. And just because we have an attraction doesn't necessarily mean the action is something we ought to engage in. I mean, if someone has a a defect that a genetic problem that predisposes them to anger, nobody would say, well, gay bashing is okay for you then. Or we we wouldn't say, well, look, don't blame me for gay bashing. I was just born with the anti-gay gene, right? Nobody would say that that's, that's justification for the behavior. So even if people are born with certain proclivities, that doesn't mean that the behavior that flows from those proclivities is something that is necessarily justified. In fact, I'm holding in my hand right now a a study, an article that actually is from uh, 2019. I'm trying to see the exact. It it comes from Science Magazine, actually. That's that's who it's referencing. And the... uh, the publication, somebody gave me this article, and I'm trying to see where it exactly comes from, but it references Science Magazine in here. Oh, this is from Nature. Okay, this this is from Nature, and it says this. No gay gene. Massive study homes in on genetic basis of human sexuality. Now, I don't have time to read the whole thing here, but the bottom line is, is that there's never been discovered any sort of gay gene that that pro that somehow causes people to have same-sex desires 
And even the the identical twin studies showed that identical twins uh, didn't have a strong correlation of sexual orientation. That you would think if it was completely genetic, every identical twin would have the same sexual desires, and they don't. And I think this article says there may be a genetic component that is between 8 and 25%. Yeah, that's what it says here. It says the scientists found that genetics could explain 8 to 25% of the variation in sexual behavior. Now, they're not stating this properly. The, sexual behavior is 100% a choice. What they mean is sexual sexual desires or sexual attractions. They're trying to say that genetics could explain 8 to 25% of that, according to this study. All right. Uh, the rest is nurture or just personal decision. There's a difference between nature and nurture. But even if it was 100% genetic, we wouldn't say if someone is 100% genetically predisposed towards certain behaviors, that necessarily makes the behaviors correct and justified. In fact, notice this is a design argument that some in the gay community in the past have made, that we were born this way. So... Therefore, the behavior is justified. Well, wait a minute. If you're making a design argument, you're saying that God has somehow designed you with these desires, and therefore you ought to act on them. When the truth is, we're all, we're all born with a desire for bad behavior. That's what depravity is. That's what our nature is bent toward. It's easy to be bad. It's hard to be good. It's, it's easy to be selfish and hard to be self, selfless. So when you know, people say, oh, I was born that way, I say, well, first of all, how did you know that? You couldn't know that. You didn't know anything when you were born. But secondly, even if you were born that way, that doesn't necessarily justify the behavior. You have to look at the behavior and see if it's something you ought to do or not do based on what God says. Because if there is no God, there's nothing right or wrong with any behavior. You can do whatever you want. But if there is a God who has a purpose for us being here, then you ought to follow what he says because he has put us here for a reason and he has put us here to make a decision that can affect our eternity. So making a design argument that you're born a certain way doesn't, again, necessarily justify the behavior. There's a difference between attractions and actions and the studies show that if there is a genetic component, it is not a dominant component to same-sex attractions. So we cover much more of that in the book, Correct, Not Politically Correct. Isn't it interesting, though, in recent years, you know, we don't hear much about the born that way argument anymore because within the LGBTQ community, which really isn't a community because there's some, there's some, a bit of a civil war going on between members of that, because if the T's get their way, the L's, the G's, and the B's don't exist. If there are no fixed genders, you can't be lesbian, gay, or bisexual, or even heterosexual for that matter, because if there are no fixed genders, you, you couldn't do any of those things. You couldn't be any of those things, so to speak. Uh, so isn't it interesting now, you don't hear the born that way argument much anymore. It used to be we're born that way and you need to accept what we do. Now they say that you can go to bed as a man and wake up as a woman. That while we can't change our desires, we can change our biology. We can change our gender. Now, as well intended as this might be, 
The exact opposite is true. You can't change your biology. You can change how you behave. Much more on this because we have other questions we'll get to right after the break. You're listening to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist with me, Frank Turek, on the American Family Radio Network. We're back in two minutes. Don't go anywhere. More controversy coming. Why believe in God when there's so much evil in the world? Aren't the atheists the reasonable ones, the bright ones? Hasn't science somehow disproved God? And what about the evil God of the Old Testament? People claim he's evil. He's killing Canaanites. He apparently had condoned slavery. At least that's what some people say. Why believe in such a being, even if this being exists? Well, if you'd like answers to that and you'd like to be able to articulate it to others, you need to take the course Stealing from God, Why Atheists Need God to Make Their Case. It starts August 14th. And if you take the premium version, you're going to be with me live on Zoom on at least six occasions for live Q&A. The first Zoom session begins, I want to say it's around August 23rd. So if you're listening to this before August 23rd and you want to be a part of the Stealing from God premium course, go to crossexamine.org, click on online courses. You'll see it there. You can be a part of it. And Stealing from God is my favorite of any of the books I've written because... I, I know I don't have enough faith to be an atheist is more well-known and is sold more, but Stealing from God, I take everything I've learned from Dr. Norman Geisler and others and apply them to so many of the atheistic arguments and the cultural arguments made against Christianity that I say this, I'm more certain that atheism is false than I am that Christianity is true. And I'm quite certain Christianity is true beyond a reasonable doubt. But when you look at what atheists put forth or other non-believers put forth for their worldview, I think you can show beyond any doubt they can't be true. And that's what we cover in Stealing from God. They're actually stealing standards and other aspects of reality from God to argue against him. They have to sit in God's lap to slap his face. So join me, if you can, for the Stealing from God online course. Go to crossexamine.org, click on online courses, and you will see it there. Okay, I've got a question from Ben who writes in, My name is Ben. I live in Memphis, Tennessee. My father-in-law introduced me to apologetics about 12 years ago. He's a member of Reasons to Believe. That's uh, U. Ross's great ministry, and he has been an incredible help with me in my journey and education. I've read your book, I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. Listen to your podcast for the past few years. He says, I'm a big fan. I appreciate all your guidance. Thank you so much, Ben. Anyway, he goes on to say he's members of the United Methodist Church. And it's a really long email. I can't read it all. And he said, many churches have been voting to leave the United Methodist Church, and some are joining the Global Methodist Church. Our church has maintained the position that they should, they would like to stay in the United uh, Methodist Church and and see what happens in with the General Conference. And as you know, they've Here's what he says. Uh, they're supposed to push a vote to decide if the church will allow openly gay pastors to serve and if they should allow gay marriages to take place in the United Methodist Church. And so he's asking, should I stay in this church? And if it were me, I'd say no. And the reason is, it's because some of the money that you give to that church is going to go to the overall organization. It doesn't stay in your local church. It's almost like a franchise fee. So a certain percentage of what is given at that church goes to the parent United Methodist 
church denomination. And if that denomination is actually supporting heresy, I would not want to give any money to it personally. Now, it's going to be a matter of conscience for you, but there are plenty of good churches that you can join and churches that go woke should go broke. What's the point of having a church if you're going to disagree with the clear teaching of the scripture? If you're going to disagree with Jesus, and yes, Jesus did speak on this. He said marriage is between a man and a woman in Matthew 19. He also talked about the fact that sexual immorality is is what makes us unclean, as well as several other things. And sexual immorality in his day was any sort of sexual activity outside of the marriage of a man and a woman, which included homosexuality, bestiality, bestiality, adultery, fornication, etc. Okay, so Jesus did speak to this. And of course, the rest of the scriptures speak to it as well. You should not be going to a church that overtly thumbs its nose at the scriptures, Jesus and the apostles. So I would say find another church. But you ask me for my opinion, <laughs> that's what I would do. I don't think Paul would go there. I don't think Jesus would go there uh, unless you think you can reform it. Uh, and uh, if you can, then go for it. But if not, once they, uh, once they go woke, you need to find a Bible-believing church that will preach the truth and won't use your money to lead people straight to hell. That's just my opinion. <laughs> Sorry, I'm going to tell you the truth. All right. I have a, a, another um, email, a question from a lady uh, in Amish country. And she says, my 21-year-old daughter has made many close Amish friends and expressed a serious interest in joining the Amish church. And uh, she goes on to say that she, um, even though this Amish group is not as conservative as some and not as separatist as some, she says they're still very conservative by the world standards. And she says, I would like to feel that there would be some kind of separation between our daughter, our daughter, or I, I feel like there would be some kind of separation between our daughter and our family as there always is between the English and the Amish, no matter how friendly we are to each other, being separated like that from our daughter and potential son-in-law, she's thinking of getting married, and grandchildren is terrifying and upsetting. Uh, my daughter said she'd like to be involved in our lives, but I know that there would be separation nonetheless, and she could be at the mercy of the bishop and her husband. What are your thoughts on this, and how would you handle this situation if it was your daughter? Well, this, this is a very difficult situation. I don't know how much uh, our listeners know about the Amish. I don't know much about them, but I do know they take kind of a separatist uh, posture uh, many of them will not uh, ride in automobiles. They won't use electricity. When I go to the Amish country, I always see uh, horse and buggies, you know, people trying to stay away from technology, and they think they have to separate from that kind of thing in the real world. Uh, and so they separate themselves from the rest of society. Now, obviously, there are some advantages to this, but there are also many disadvantages, and I can see why you're concerned about this. I would sit down and ask my daughter a lot of questions. Uh, first of all, do you think Amish theology is true? Why? Because if you if you look them up, while they'll say they're saved by grace, they almost seem Mormon-like that they have to do certain tasks in order to be saved. So they're adding works to grace, which is no grace at all. Paul points out, look, if it's if it's it's either grace or it's works, but it's not both. 
And so they may be preaching a false gospel, and obviously you don't want them to believe in another gospel. That's the whole message of the book of Galatians. Paul says, if anyone brings you another gospel, let them be anathema. He said, even if I were to bring you another gospel, let me be anathema. Cut me off. So I would ask first, do you think that Amish theology is true and why? As much as you detest much of, as much of what's going on in the culture, and I detest it too, we're to be, we're to be in the culture but not of it. We're, we're to witness to people and try and win them over to, to, to actually pull them out of the road they're on, pull them off the road they're on, the road to hell and show them the truth and show them that Jesus died for them. And by trusting in him, you can not only be forgiven, but you be, you can be given his righteousness. So ask her, why do you think it's true? I might also ask a question, if evangelical theology were true, the kind of Christianity that appears to be what good a good Bible church would believe, historical Christianity, if that were really true, would you become a Christian and marry somebody in the Lord, because that's what Paul says. Just marry somebody in the Lord. Not somebody who has who is preaching another gospel. That would not be marrying somebody in the Lord. That, that person may claim he or she is a Christian, but if if it's another gospel, as Paul said, may they be anathema. You want to marry somebody in the Lord. And do you want uh, to have artificial rules put on you that aren't from the Bible and are going to put you in bondage. Do you want that? Why would you want that? Now, here's where, of course, quite frequently, romance will overcome any theological considerations. And this is, of course, the danger, <laughs> because quite frequently, we will decide to believe what we want to believe because of we want something uh, that disagrees with the Bible. And so we will go with our desires, go with our romance, go with people we like rather than the truth. And we have to all guard against this. Dr. Geiser used to say years ago that fraternity will nearly always overcome theology. This is why you see people who have... Uh, friends or relatives who come out as LGBTQ suddenly tossing the Bible away and saying, oh, if I'm going to love my daughter or my son, uh, I'm going to be gay affirming. Now, that's not actually loving. What you're doing is enabling them to go down the wrong road. It's the, it's the antithesis of loving, but they think it's loving. They think love means approval. No, love does not mean approval. As Paul says, love always protects. Love does not rejoice in wrongdoing. Love rejoices in the truth. Love always perseveres. So if we're truly going to love people, we need to stand in the way of evil or stand in the way of the wrong path they're going down. Now, if your daughter is an adult, all you can do is ask questions and try and persuade her. But at some point, she's going to have to make her own decision and you're going to have to live with it. And my first pastor used to say, there's nothing you can do that will make me stop loving you. He would always say that to his kids, which I think is great advice. But love doesn't mean approval. So do what you can to ask her through a series of questions and see if she'll follow the truth rather than follow her feelings.
So often we follow our feelings rather than following the truth. We follow what we find attractive rather than following Jesus, the one who sacrificed himself in order to save us. So just ask a bunch of questions, if you would, and pray. Do a lot of praying. (laughs) Dr. Geisha used to say when you have kids, especially when they hit teenagers, you want to pray more and talk less. (laughs) Pray more and talk less. So do that, friends. I hope that's helpful. All right, friends, great being with you. I hope to see you here next week, Lord willing. Don't forget about stealing from God, why atheists need God to make their case. Go to crossexamine.org, click on online courses. I hope to see you in the live Q&A sessions. All right, see you here next week, Lord willing.